I'm uh, Stephen Pruitt, executive chairman of Cox Media Group. What inspired you to get into the media field? When I was uh, uh, in high school, um, there was a local radio station that I used to uh, drive by. Um, you know, when I would be out and about, I would see this little radio station. And one day I stopped in there and it was owned. Uh, it was a little class A FM uh, down in the next town over, actually, in Columbia, Illinois. Uh, and it was owned by a couple. And they were just in there making local radio and all kinds of kooky stuff from German um, um, uh, polka music to, you know, talking to the neighbors. It just was a little brick building. It was, um, and and they had built it, it, you know, probably looked like a garage from the outside, you know, sort of. But it was radiance. I can't remember the call letters, but... I thought, wow, this town has a radio station and these people are making radio. And I thought that was pretty cool. And then I got interested in the idea of like radio. And I went to Southern Illinois University at Edwardsville that had a radio TV program. And I began to learn about the radio business. And that was what started it. And after that, can you tell me a little bit about your media journey? Well, I uh, went to school and I was a little bit uh, ahead of myself. I wanted to be on the radio and I, I really wanted to be on the college station, which I was, and then uh, on an SAU's uh, radio station. And I think we had a real radio station, but we also had a campus, uh, you know, carrier wave station. And I was on both of those. And then I got a chance through, I was writing uh articles about music and i was freelancing and i got some articles in a magazine called concert news and the result of that was interviews that i taped and then i met somebody from the rock radio station in st louis kshe and they said why don't we put these interviews and let's edit them and put them on the air you have the tapes you have a release i think i had a release maybe i did maybe i didn't but back then people didn't care so much about that stuff. It was different. It was underground radio. It was FM radio. And so I started doing these interview shows. I would do the interviews for the magazine. And, you know, I mean, I interviewed Freddie Mercury, uh, Sticks, REO Speedwagon, Frank Zappa. You know, I'm just a kid. I was 19 or 20. And these people sat down with me and, uh, you know, uh, Mick Fleetwood, John McVie, uh, Christine McVie, all, all of Fleetwood Mac, Bob, when Bob Welch was in the band, and then later when Buckingham next were in the band. So I was thought, this is this is great. You know, I, I can just, you know, I'm getting to talk to these people. And I was a terrible interviewer. I was untrained. I didn't know anything, but I just get people talking and then the radio station would cut it up. and makes, I, I was just writing it. I was writing an article, so it didn't matter what it sounded like, but the radio station would cut it up and make it into something and put songs between it. And um, we ran it on Casey. It ran on Casey. I also got a part-time DJ job there and uh, that was it. Then so, 
I really wasn't very good at any of those things. I was very young, untrained. And I also like swept the floors and wiped off people's desks. And uh, when I met these uh, uh, salespeople, and I always thought, wow, look at their, you know, they had nice clothes and they had nice cars and they got to come and go. And I thought, and I asked somebody, I said, what do those people do? And they said, oh, they're salespeople. So I kind of remembered that. And then I got a job in a, a TV station in the promotion department. And I sort of brought some of my radio skills, what little I had learned along. And I was like, the number three person in a three person department and promotion already isn't, you know, was, you know, you're sort of downhill from all the action. You're, you're kind of telling about the action, but I got to work with news people. I got to learn how to cut film and cut tape. And, you know, back then uh, those were uh, and, and in St. Louis, those were union jobs. So I worked with union guys and, you know, I think people just, you know, kind of almost felt sorry for me. I was just didn't know anything. And I would just ask people and people would show me stuff. And, you know, it was because of that, that I, I learned some more skills and uh, my miraculously, my promos got on the air. I was doing needle drop music on footage about our news using queen and stuff like that. I can't believe they put it on the air. And, <laughs> We didn't have permission to use the music and but that was a that was you know and that was an abc affiliate in you know in st louis which in the, those days was the 12th market in the country but the business was very you know it, it was very rudimentary right and and the, even back then even with abc nbc and cbs being in business this was pre-fox she had independence i had to go to ascertainment meetings and I met a young guy that was young then. He was in his 30s. and um, uh, But that was young in the business. And he was GM of the independent station. His name was Hal Prater. And he said to me, uh, hey, have you ever thought about going into sales? And I said, oh, well, you'd have to be at least 35 to get into sales. It's Channel 2. And Mr. Hanson, that was the GM, would never put me in sales. And he goes, well, I'll put you in sales and you go tell Ralph. He knew, he knew the other GM. So I did, I went and told Mr. Hanson. I said, I ran into Hal Prater at the ascertainment meeting. He wants to make me a salesperson. And he goes, you know what? Go ahead. You know, I was like, he was nice about it, you know? And, and uh, uh, I don't know, maybe back then everybody was just nicer. I <laughs> <laughs> but uh or I, I you know midwestern a lot of nice people people who wanted to open a door and so i went to work for hal and um went as a salesperson and then you know just kind of met more and more people and i began uh i remember i would get broadcasting and cable and i would open the back of it and there would be every week there'd be like an ad for a you know small radio station for sale in some small town and I really wanted to own a small radio station and it just was my dream. And uh, so I started learning about business and being a salesperson, you're calling on people's businesses. Yeah. So you learn business. And I, um, 
you know, I did, I did a, I, I tried a bunch of different things, you know, uh, ad agency, a little, I started an ad agency with another guy who was a photographer and, you know, we did ads for people. Um, and, you know, one thing led to another and, uh, somebody in, uh, told me I should be a national rep. And I, I went to, uh, MMT in, I mean, I went to Petri television in St. Louis, which was a rep firm. It's gone now. Uh, it was consolidated up into, ironically, I think Blair, but Petri, um, you know, CMG owned a rep firm up until a couple of years ago. And uh, we'd, we'd acquired a whole bunch of other rep firms, but I was in the rep business then in St. Louis. And then uh, I, I did well and I was aggressive. And back then that was a good strategy for sales, you know, to go ask for the order and ask for more share. And I learned uh, Petrie sent me to New York. I'd never been out of St. Louis really the St. Louis area and they sent me to New York and trained me for about a month. And, um, that really taught me a lot about business. And then, uh, I started studying business and, um, I later went back uh, to school and got an MBA. I had left my undergraduate, um, studies because I told, uh, the head of the department, he was telling me I had to do all these general studies I didn't want to do. I was just wanted to take radio TV classes. Right. And I said, well, you know, I've got a job in radio. And if, if you knew anything, you would have a job in radio. He didn't take kindly to that. And uh, I left shortly thereafter. And he said something to the effect, young man, I have to sign your degree, you know. And he didn't mean to make me leave. It was my own impetuousness. And then so I did, and, and I went down the road, and I was selling, and I was making commissions and making good money, and I went to Chicago, which is a great business city, and I started going to the library and reading books about business and finding books about business and finance and how to start a business, and I met a broker, uh, a man uh, named Howard Stason, and he would tolerate me sitting in his office asking about how to buy radio stations and i didn't know anything i just was a salesperson that had learned some finance and learned how to make a business plan and a guy came in to howard's office and had raised a limited partnership and wanted to buy some radio stations but didn't have anybody to run it and howard recommended me i think to get me out of his office and so i became this guy's partner in a radio in a couple of radio stations and i drove around in my 20s it was one in was in galesburg illinois and one was in um uh, uh arlington heights a suburb of chicago and we got very lucky we we took a little local radio station in Arlington Heights and we turned it into uh, a country, an FM country music station. They didn't exist much at the time. And we showed up in the Chicago book and some guy came along and bought the radio station for double what we paid for it. And then wow. that partnership kind of broke up and, and I went on, uh, he kept the, the man that backed me, he kept the other station and I went on and started raising limited partnerships to apply for television licenses. 
And then I just learned more and more. And, you know, I could do this all day. I don't, I don't think you have all day. But uh, until I became, uh, I was able to say I was an owner, even though I only owned tiny fractions and raised money and built stations. And in the 80s, I built, uh, oh, give or take, 20 television stations um, using limited partnerships from about 1982 to 1986. Uh, we built a bunch, uh, and I, I built a company called uh, uh, UPI Media, which was kind of loosely affiliated with United Press International. And I, I in that time, I learned how to become a consultant, and a, I learned financing and how to deal with banks. And, you know, in about a decade, I had a crash course a business and uh i went back then after the tax law changed and i sold off some stations and i was kind of starting my family i went back and got my mba at northwestern and then kind of launched a, another phase of becoming what i really amounted to of an investment banker uh, early days in the 80s when as i always say to people people owned TV and radio stations, not corporations, right? There were still a lot of individual owners. Consolidation was on the horizon. I got lucky. I got a piece of that. And, you know, uh, I did that up until, um, you know, the 90s. And um, and then, you know, I just kind of kept stair-stepping that career along the way until the 2000s. Uh, I decided I wanted to actually instead of being a deal maker and just get a piece of things i wanted to actually be a part of a company and be a ceo and i found a company that was over levered and needed a financial guy and i went into that and that that eventually i was there 10 years i took it through a bankruptcy i took it through a couple of restructurings and a bankruptcy stayed became the ceo went from cfo to ceo and then we sold it successfully at a profit after we uh, went through a chapter 11 uh, for the investors that came in. And then um, that landed me in David Smith's office at Sinclair looking for an investor and of an imp most improbable guy. Why would he invest with me? It, you know, but David is nothing if not open to some kind of different idea. And, uh, he did. He invested in me to start a company called Chesapeake, which then we merged into Sinclair. I did that eight more years and we built, bought, and we bought more stations and, you know, were, uh, had a strategy, improved them. And then along, my friend Brian Brady was selling his company to Apollo and he wanted me to be a part of that. And it was all, you know, I went to David again. I said, hey, these guys want me to go do this. He goes, well, let's, you know, keep me posted. We'll see how that goes. He wanted me to stay. and uh, But when it came down to it, he he agreed it was the right thing for me to do to go do that. And uh, so, again, people generally, you know, a lot of my career was um, maybe, uh, I mean, people didn't. Uh, you know, I, I, I gained the confidence of some influential people who opened doors for me, but then I ran through them and I did perform, right? 
And, you know, everything from going back to being the lowest person in the radio station to the lowest person in a TV station and then sales. And if I had to say there was a catalyst, it was learning sales because sales let me learn every part of the business. And so becoming a really good seller and raising your hand about revenue when somebody says, who wants to take charge of revenue? If you raise your hand, you it's, it's, you know, a lot of people don't want to do that. Right. Right. Who wants to get good new business? I'll go get new business. That really was something that helped Prodder instilled in me. Uh, you know, he's passed on now, but, um, that be aggressive, go get revenue, go talk to advertisers. We're helping their business. I always believe that with, you know, everything I had, that that was what I was doing. I was helping people build their business and that paid off, right? That kind of positive outlook, positive attitude. Now I've skipped setbacks and failures, had lots of those, uh, you know, definitely I, you know, left the broadcast business for a while, wanted to start an auto parts company, uh, lost all my money, had to rebuild, um, you know, uh, had to rebuild my whole career at 40 years old. Um, and, um, you know, that, that was, uh, challenging and that's, so those, it's those things, but what I wanted to, when I started writing, when I started publishing and I thought about publishing, this book, it's not because I'm the richest guy and most successful guy in broadcasting. I've done okay. Guys like Perry Sook and David and uh, Brian have all done incredible things. I mean, they've they, their accomplishments are are fantastic. And uh, but I have been at that table, and I've seen a lot, and I felt like you know. Uh, I might be uniquely positioned to share this with people uh, and share views um, with people who are at a point in their career where they need some encouragement or they need some insight and maybe I can help. And, and that's, you know, what motivates me today. We're not done here by any means at my day job. Right. Uh, I think I'll be here a, a bit yet. Um, and, um, by that, I mean a couple of years, I think I'll be here a couple more years. Um, and I don't know what will, what the future brings exactly, but a part of my future is going to be, uh, continuing to provide views from the top of corporations because I feel like people, you know, um, can benefit a, a young person came to me and, uh, she's outside the broadcast industry. She's in the retail business and she runs a store for a retail chain that's growing. And she had all these big plans. And I said, yeah, she said, well, we're going to open some more stores and I want to be over those stores. And I said, so, okay, what is your company thinking? And she goes, well, they're going to open more stores. And I said, no, what is your company thinking about what they are going to do? Because yeah. I promise you they're thinking something. And she goes, what? I said, yeah. They're already thinking about this. So you're behind. You need to think like, what are they thinking? Are they thinking about me? And if they're not thinking about you, you need to get on their radar screen. Right. 
And she did. And it, and, and she went and right away, because she was going to wait, I'm going to wait, and I'm going to see what happens. And I said, no, no, don't wait and see what happens. Get on their radar screen now that you're interested, because they may be thinking for a variety of reasons, they may be totally happy with your work. They may think you're great, but they don't want to move you out of that store. They don't want to distract you. They don't want to make sure they understand that you not only could run your store, but you could run two more stores. <laughs> and and so she's going to get the job. But, you know, it's just something simple as what are the people up here thinking? When you're thinking this, what are they thinking? Are you aligned with the company? And if you're not in alignment with the company, can you get an alignment? You know, and that the book goes into a lot of that in detail. It goes into everything about persistence, resilience, uh, failure, loss. My uh, my sons unfortunately passed away. My youngest passed away, the youngest at twenty, and my oldest, who was born with a congenital heart uh, condition, passed away at thirty-five. <clears throat> and um, that put a new both of those both times even though they were years apart 15 years apart um th that uh it put a perspective on things that you can fix anything in business you can fix anything financial you can no matter how down and out no matter how tough the situation you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps, but the loss of a loved one, you can't fix it's over. And you have to live with that in a way that doesn't uh, destroy you and everybody else around you. Right. I mean, uh, you have, you know, you have to be strong in their memory. You have to be strong for your spouse or your family, your other survivors, you know, for a long time after Alex died, we were strong for Stefan and his brother. And then after losing Stefan, it got a little bit, um, you know, hard to like, what are we doing, right? And who can we, so we both are of the mindset to kind of give back to people. That's our method of coping, right? That's how we... And, and we do it pretty much on an individual basis. We, And that's what really led me to write this. It's not that I think I know everything, but I know some stuff. And I know that some stuff I know people aren't necessarily willing to share, like how executives think and how they, how they make decisions. Right. I've seen it at public companies. I've seen it at private companies. I've seen it at family companies. I've seen it at private equity owned companies and I want to be able to use that constructively, right. To encourage people. I don't want to discourage people. I want to encourage people. Uh, but I also want to be realistic, right. I want to uh, be uh, able to uh, truly encourage people and, and how, you know, how to, how to, uh, achieve both a balance success that they're comfortable with success is what you're comfortable with it's not what other people define for you i was never pursuing money and i probably made less money because i was never pursuing money 
I was pursuing making stuff happen. And that was always in my mind. And I left myself kind of open, right? And I locked out and I did really well financially. And it wasn't like I didn't, if you probably, you know, could find people that would say, well, I think he was after the money. Well, you all, if you're going to be in business, okay, if you're doing it just for the appreciation, you've chosen the wrong thing to do. People aren't going to often say to you, we really appreciate you. What they're going to say to you is, we're going to pay you more, or we're going to give you some stock, or we're going, you know, and that's how my mentality worked. I mean, it was like, okay, I go out here and I go do something and somebody's going to reward me with, uh, you know, money. Right. But I didn't think much past that. It was like going to be a reward. And then later I began to be able to control that and, and kind of think about financing going in. I was always thinking about other people's finances and other, cause I was, I was selling money. I was an investment right. banker. So you know, that's what I thought about. And I knew if I would get a piece of that, but I didn't think much beyond that. Um, you know, David Smith told me when later in my career and, you know, he's, he founded not only Sinclair, but his father founded Sinclair and he would always say that, but he built it yeah. and uh, he built a massive company in the car dealer business. Also incredibly successfully people, people don't really focus on that too much. But he owns that aside from Sinclair. You know, he told me, he goes, look, um, you were a great racehorse, but your job now is to pick racehorses. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he was, you're not here to run the race anymore. You're here to pick racehorses. And then another time I didn't like, this was usually at times when he was giving me a talking to. David was really good about like, okay, you're not going to like this, but here's what we're going to do, right? And if it was even that long. Uh, but another time he told me, he goes, I'm giving you a gift. I'm paying you to think. I'm not paying you to do. I'm paying you to think. And, you know, when I look back on those times, the fact that the things he told me were so meaningful and very rare that he took any time with people. I mean, he's, you know, he's, he wanted me to be successful and he wanted to give me things. And, you know, you have to be awake to, I wasn't always awake, right. meaning like what's being said here. What's, what's it took a couple times sometimes for me to get something. And, uh, and uh, I think that because I've been on the receiving end of that from him and others, uh, people at Apollo, people at uh, from Brian uh, Brady, from uh, these people that have been in my life, uh, even people who didn't like me said things that helped me. Even people who were my bitterest competitors and rivals helped me. So in ways, and, and you know, maybe they didn't always know they were helping me, but I learned something. And even people. But even people who knew they were my rivals, sometimes they would call you up and they would go, listen, I'm going to help you out here. And it happens. It's the craziest thing. It's like, wow, why is this person? I don't person? hear about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
you know, people like somebody who you're fighting against to say, I'm going to help you out here. I'm going to tell you something. And you're, if you do it, if you, if you follow what I say, this is going to work out right in a tough situation and uh, takes, you've got to think about that. Like, is this a trick? Is this real? And, you know, will it work out? And fortunately I've had a couple of those work out where I could get past, um, you know, um, you know, my wife would say to me, don't waste negative energy, hating somebody who's trying to bring you down. Um, you know, I've had, that's the other thing I would say, my wife, my, you know, has been, we've been together over 40 years. She's been and she's a businesswoman. She was in business with, she was in the broadcast business. We were in business together. Uh, but she's kept our household and our finances together. And uh, when I went broke, she had money left and we had separate estates. And um, she, you know, bailed me out and stood behind me. When I was starting businesses, she worked at NBC and supported me. And so I could start a business. I, I probably didn't go into that enough in the book, you know, that, that it's be, I haven't written the forward and the acknowledgements yet. So I'm still going to do that, that without her, I couldn't have gotten launched without her just absolute belief in what I stood for and what I could do. Um, so I didn't let you ask many questions. <laughs> well, I, I got a few more. They're much faster. Okay, than, yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, with writing the book, how did it feel to get, you know, all your feelings, knowledge all out on the page? Like incomplete. I don't feel like I got... I didn't want it to be a memoir. I wanted it to be a business book. So I adhered to a system that I felt you, I used over the years called gain, go assess, identify next. And when I broke down my career, I saw that I had these cycles of development. And in each one of them, I did these four things. I, I sort of would go assess, identify. And then I do that for a period of years. I would assess how my progress was. And then I would identify something new. And it might be a project or it might be a new job. It might be in the same company. And then I would have a next, right? Like a next level. And uh, that's the book. The first chapter is called From the Outhouse to the Penthouse. Because one of the things I looked at was like, I grew up with my grandmother in my first four years of my life. And she had a potty training. She didn't have running water in the outhouse. So I was you know, as a kid, that's what I had. I had an outhouse, a little kid. I remember it clearly. I was scared to death of it and didn't want to go in there. And, um, you know, I'd look around the room and I would think, I wonder who here has ever had to use an outhouse. I mean, guys go to deer camp and whatever, and they camp out and they use the woods or the outhouse, but they don't do it because they had, they didn't grow up you know, without running water. And I didn't grow up without running water later when I was reunited with my parents and, and, uh, you know, we had running water, but, um, you know, long, long time I went to my grandmother's every summer and she didn't have running water probably till, uh, almost the seventies, you know? And, uh, um, I was in, I was, I think I was in middle school or high school by the time she, 
got running water. My uncle put it in for her. And uh, so, yeah, it, it, did I feel like I got it all out? No, that's why you, I write so much on LinkedIn. The yeah. stuff I forgot to put in the book, it's stuff I th- thought about after. Uh, it's supplemental. In, in some cases, it's in there. In some cases, it's supplemental. What have you learned from your wife? Uh, well, first of all, she's a trained, she has a, a, an MS in psychology and she's a trained psychologist. So, uh, what I've learned from her is just, I mean, so vast, uh, she, she doesn't treat me like a patient, but, um, you know, she's, uh, uh, First of all, that someone can, somebody's belief in you can lift you up to a level that um, she's just the unconditional trusted person in my life that uh, trust uh, I've learned, uh, you know, I've learned to behave in a certain way that I might've been a little aggressive and she's very much a rule follower. She very much, uh, she, she's very thoughtful. She, but yet she can be incredibly imaginative and she can be creative and she can understand where I'm coming from, which, uh, you know, gives me the confidence has given me the confidence to, uh, you know, go and do things that, that were extraordinary above my pay grade, so to speak. Uh, the willingness of her to sacrifice when I was uh, not bringing in money and she went to work every day and we had kids and, you know, she was pregnant. She went to work. She supported me uh, monetarily uh, in our tough times and in every tough time along the way. Uh she never wavered through uh, 40. Not, not that she didn't get mad at me at some point and read me the riot act here and there. She did. And uh, we were even separated at one point. She, you know, was the architect of how we could get back together and um, gave me some profound knowledge during that time, right? Of like, Hey, you're either going to be my husband, but you're not going to be my friend. I have plenty of real friends. You can be my husband and my love of my life, but we're not going to be friendly. This divorce is not going to be friendly. And uh, uh, so we got back together and that took a lot of strength. Right. And um, so there, uh, you know, I can't say enough to say the power of, Somebody like that in your life is incredible. And, um, uh, but somebody who has is strong and, and will will also back you up. So, you know, I've learned from that experience that that is an important piece of the puzzle. I know for me, I started in TV in Terre Haute, Indiana as a production assistant but I always wanted to be a leader and I know I'm not alone. A lot of people want to be like that. So what advice would you give anyone who wants to follow your footsteps? 
find a place to lead. Uh, been to Terre Haute many times. We were raised sprint cars and midgets at the fairgrounds with my yep. youngest son. <laughs> uh, and uh, so find a find something to lead. So if 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 you're say you're in a department and uh, there's always things that your boss doesn't want to do, right? And or that his boss doesn't want to do. And if you can do this technically, uh, take responsibility for something. Usually, what I did was I found something that kind of nobody really wanted to deal with. And maybe even I wasn't even qualified, but I was willing to take a shot at it. Help, you know, take jobs other people don't want to do, do them. And that may sound like being a suck up, but it it also is like you're learning every step of the way. And then ask people what you can do, like uh, people in cross departments, like, can you help facilitate? Is there some area? Typically, this is communication, too. Uh, like there might be friction or, or lack of communication and somebody may be saying, Oh God, the traffic department gives me a hard time every time about this. If you can help fix that problem, you become a leader and then you become recognized as a leader. Uh, just saying, I want to be the head of production, uh, you know, is, is one thing you can always make that known, but I would say to people, just go ahead and lead something yeah. lead something lead fundraising for a charity lead something people will notice and you're leading I'm, you're leading you started this yes i know right? I'm, I'm trying i'm uh yeah working hard and hopefully get this mission of getting people to tell their stories hopefully it continues yeah i will what are some of the things you do to help your own mental health? Well, you know, uh, that's a good one because I have a coach I've had for uh, 17 years, an executive coach. Um, I had a, uh, when I had to take a battery of uh, psychological tests for the Apollo job, the psychologist said in the, in the report, which I saw eventually. Um, I'm not sure why he's had to have a coach for 17. At the time, it was 12 years. For 12 years, uh, that may that may indicate something's wrong here. <laughs> I thought that was a good thing. Okay, I right. thought I've got a coach. I'm working on this, and uh, you know, I didn't. Again, I didn't necessarily stop and think about how other people might see that. They might see that as a deficit. My coach has been absolutely integral after my wife. She has been. Um, and then my, uh, my good friend, uh, that, that my, my horse partner um, that got me into riding. Uh, after Alex died, she said to me, her name is Ann Ellis. Um, she said, you know, I'm going to get you out on a horse and um, that will help you. And uh, so we started trail riding together and she's had horses her whole life. She's incredible. She uh, works at Sinclair and is, is a, uh, an SVP there now. And uh, she's like a sister to me, but uh, having people like that in my life that uh, did something 
extraordinary, um, knew something, went out of their way, you know, and we, you know, to this day, I, we still trail ride together and, um, I wouldn't, it's something I wouldn't do if I didn't have her and, uh, in my life because, you know, a, she knows horses, confident, professional writer, uh, and I feel safe, you know, doing it with her. Um, and I like her, you know, and I love her. She's my sister. So, um, for all practical purposes. And, um, I don't, you know, I think that, that that's been instrumental. I, I don't, you know, uh, people doing those kinds of things and, 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 you know, I've always been a supporter of hers in business and behind her. And, you know, I have, a, a I'm fortunate a number of people, I think I've given off that as I've moved through, I, I don't feel I've left people in the ditch um, in certainly intentionally. Some, sometimes we have a crash and everybody's in the ditch, right? <laughs> but you try not to, right? As you get older and you start to age out of your career, right? And your aspirations change, then you start looking for something else to do. So taking care of mental health is a process of like when I was in the thick of it and I was stressed about accomplishment, um, it was, you know, so you have to go back in time after I lost the boys or after I lost Alex and then later Stefan, but early on after losing Alex at a young age, um, it was easy to just reset and say, this is nothing, right? Business, I can fix this. I can't fix that. I can fix this. And, and that was a mental health exercise and keeping Alex always in my mind and in my heart of what he would have wanted for me. Right. So mental health and then, uh, you know, not letting depression creep in, uh, about lack of accomplishment, uh, trying to, to double down on activity. I think when, when I was just at a loss and didn't know what to do, for the next thing and maybe needed to accomplish something for money. Um, just saying, all right, go do something, just go do something, call somebody, <laughs> you know, <laughs> go see somebody, go, you know, start something and say it out loud. One of the things I do is I say things out loud and then I feel I have to do it. Right. And, um, you know, that's like, okay, I, this is what I'm going to do. And I started telling people I was going to write a book. Well, then I had to do it. Right. And, and otherwise they're always going to be saying like, whatever happened to that book? And, uh, and then I got to the point where I didn't think I was going to publish it. I didn't think it was good enough. I didn't think anybody would care. And, uh, so, so what do I do for mental health? I go do something. I go like, and I, by do something, I mean, I, I move the ball, even if I can move it an inch in a direction that I, so I said, I want to find a thing I can do after I'm not in the position of being a chairman or, um, you know, what can I do that will help 
people who are either mid mid career, early in their career, late in their career. What do I have up here? What can I share with them openly uh, that uh, would help them through some kind of situation, even if it's a loss, like of a child or uh, a spouse or even a parent, um, you know, I've experienced all those things and having that willingness to share that and say, wow, this is, you know, when my mom died, I thought one thing, when my dad died, I thought, holy crap, I got nobody. Um, and then my, my grandmother was really the blow, uh, that came later because she had, as you read in the book, she stood for a lot for me. She taught me, I think, the core principles that I lived on the rest of my life from three years old, uh, you know, three, four, and five when I lived with her all full time. And then I went with her every summer until I really got a driver's license that, you know, um, so I lived at her farm every summer, you know, for the next 12 years. Um and she really formed me into the person underneath. And, and, and I didn't know she was doing that. She just, that's who she was. She did it, right? And, and it, it was her influence on me that she actually, she didn't like try to influence me. She just was her, this real person. And um, it really comes down to um, at key times, sometimes you gotta just do it yourself. Sometimes there'll be a person uh that will listen to you and and say something to you so uh, i think it's important to to not go into um my tendency is i'm an introvert and believe it or not and i tend to go inside and i have to remember like hey you need to like connect now is the time like if i'm feeling uh overly insular are remote, I know it's time I've got to put myself out there, right? That's the time I need to do that. 